worship service for today. And um, through a series of events that happened literally in the last 24 hours, we needed to change our plans. And last weekend, I preached about forgiveness. You remember that if you were here? But I preached about personal forgiveness. Remember that suitcase I had and I talked about what it means to really unpack stuff and not let it be stuff that's our baggage, stuff that's our slavery that we're carrying around with us. And I talked to you about what it looked like to really not only have forgiveness from God, but healing with people and what it looked like to really experience what the Bible talks about as confession. And then we talked about forgiveness when, when, um, when, when we need to talk about somebody else and we see them going down a road that we don't think is very good and we need to speak the truth in love. Well, I didn't plan on it. But today, uh, because we needed to change things, uh, God has a different message that we didn't plan for today. And today I'm going to talk to you about forgiveness, but a different aspect of forgiveness. We're going to talk about forgiving people who've hurt us, all right? Now, before we get into that, can I just tell you that I love those kind of moments when God just switches plans on us, and God says, hey, I want you to turn left here, I want you to zig here, don't zag, and... I'm glad you're in church today, because I think you're here for a very special word from God for your life. So as we begin this morning, I just want to invite you to pray with me. Father, I thank you for every person that's here and the folks that are beyond this place who are going to be listening in to the streaming message online. I just thank you for every life that for the next few minutes is just going to sit at your feet to listen to your word. And I pray that you would help in the name of Jesus. Let this preacher get out of the way and Would you open up the bread of life for us? Would you help your word be life for us? Every one of us, every one of us have been hurt by somebody very deeply. And every one of us here, we will be hurt in the future by somebody very deeply. And it's so important, Father, that we have a few minutes with you just to be able to hear how you want us to live. If we could just have a little bit of your heart to know how you think and how you respond because your heart has been hurt so many, so many times, and you are perfect at forgiveness. This morning, would you sow the seed of your word, the eternal word, into our life, and would you bear fruit in us, fruit that would last for eternity? And I pray, Lord, you would teach us so well this morning how you forgive, that we would be better, even more expert forgivers in our family and in our workplaces, in our church, so that, God, we can model you, our Heavenly Father. So, Lord, meet us now. Teach us, we pray. And we pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I invite you to grab your outline and grab your pen, and, um, and hopefully you have a, something to study the Bible with, and we're going to dive into this subject together. Now, before I do that, let me just in, invite you to um, think of a person who has hurt you. Uh, let me tell you a true story. Prime Minister of Spain in the 1400s was dying, and he called a Catholic priest in, to give him last rites, what we call unction. And the Catholic priest came in to minister to the prime minister of Spain, and he called him by name, and he asked him, he said, do you have everything right with God? And the prime minister just looked at him. He said, let me ask you this. Have you forgiven your enemies? And he looked without blinking an eye, and he said, priest, Catholic priest, my father, all of my enemies, I've had them shot. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? You ever had, yeah, you ever, kind of quiet in the room. Have you ever been there yourself? You ever wanted to have all your enemies shot before? This morning I'm going to talk about forgiveness, and you know what? You don't have that luxury of being able to say when you're dead and dying, okay, I, had, I don't have to worry about my enemies. I had them all killed off. Now, there are moments at which we, we get hurt by people so bad, we wish them evil and harm, right? That's not the way God wants us to live. God wants us to live with a clean conscience that we've done all that we can do to forgive those who've hurt us. Now, This message is going to be far more powerful for you and far more application-oriented. If you would think of somebody who, while I'm preaching today, while we're studying God's Word, if you think of somebody who's hurt you, or somebody that you just don't like being around, or somebody that if you saw them coming down the hallway, you'd really want to go the other way. You know what I mean? And you may or may not call them an enemy, but they're a person that is not kind to you, is not nice to you, has hurt you before, a person that you just really don't want to be around. If every one of us has somebody or some group on our mind like that, it's going to help us as we study what Jesus has to say. Now, we're going to begin in the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, okay? And I've told you about that sermon countless times, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Not only is it an incredible exposition of what the kingdom life is like, 
but more sermons have been preached on that sermon than any sermon ever, ever, all right? So it was the greatest sermon ever preached, and I want to start there, all right? So read with me what Jesus had to say about this subject, and it's going to be hard, but let's listen with open minds. Jesus had to say this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Then he says these words. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. By the way, some of the most difficult words, I think, in the entire Bible to not only understand, but to actually obey. Love your, you've heard it said this way, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. This is tough, tough stuff. So what I want to talk with you about today is how do you do that, all right? Now, before we get to the how... First of all, let me say exactly what Jesus is not saying, okay, about how we're supposed to love our enemies. In your outline, you'll see that I've gotten uh, a place there for four Greek words for you. And I normally don't talk a lot about Greek, okay, so it must be important if I ever talk about Greek. The, The Greek language has four different words for the word love. And I wanted to break those down for you real quickly. So get your pen ready and write these words down, if you will. The first word is storg. Storg is family love. It's the love of a a mother that a mother has for a daughter or that that a son has for his father or that brothers or sisters have for another. Storg is parental love, family love, all right? And you have that kind of love in your life. The next kind of love we've probably heard of before is eros, all right? We get that word erotic from it. But eros is sexual love. It's the love of a husband and a wife. It's the romantic, passionate love. That's what eros is. And then you've probably heard of this word, phileo. Phileo, where we get the, literally the name of the city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is friendship. It's brotherly, sisterly love. It's close-knit kinship. That's what phileo is. But you've, hopefully you've heard of the word agape. That's the fourth one, agape. Agape is, people have called it God's love. Some people have called it unconditional love, but I like to think of it this way. It is unconquerable kindness. No matter what you do to me, I will still be kind to you. It is unconquerable generosity. I will still be a giving person. It is invincible goodwill, unconditional, regardless of what you do, I am going to act a certain way. What Jesus is calling us to do when he says, love your enemies, he's saying, I want you to be like God. I want, no matter what people do to you, I want you to not change who you are and how you respond. I want you to have an invincible kindness towards people, an invincible generosity, an an unconquerable goodness about you that is like our Father. That's what Jesus is saying. No, what is he not saying? He's not saying when somebody hurts you, somebody betrays you, somebody cuts you to the core, I want you to love them like Storg or Eros or Phileo, all right? It's really really hard to do that, right? Oh, I'm just going to be able to love you with a brotherly love. What he is saying is I want, you to, I want you to love with the love that God gives people, the kind of love that God will strengthen you with. I want you to love with an unconquerable goodness and kindness and generosity and something that is invincible, given by God. I want you to love them that way with agape love. That's a challenge, I know, but that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. How do you do that? Now, those first three loves, I, I kind of wish we'd have put them all on one screen. Those first three loves, there's a distinction. You might want to just take a, couple, take a couple notes here real quickly. Storg, phileo, and eros all operate one way, all right? And they operate this way. They start with your heart, and they move to your head, okay? They start with your heart. You think about eros love. You're attracted, right? You're, you're, you're longing. You're emotionally driven from your heart long before your head is. And then your head plays catch up, right? And then you have, finally decide later on you want to commit to that person. You want to love that person. The same way goes with our family. Our family love or our, 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 our parental or brotherly love. It starts with our heart and our emotions here and then it makes its way to our head. It's different than agape love. Agape love starts with our head and moves through our heart. That's God's will, okay? God made a decision that he would love us, 
He didn't act on feelings. I'll say it differently. Agape love is not driven by your heart or your emotions. Agape love is a decision of the will. Matter of fact, that's point number one. Write that down. Agape love is an act of the will. You make a decision. I am going to love. I am going to love this person. I'm going to care. I'm going to do good to this person. And you make that start it off with your mind, and then your heart plays catch up later on, okay? You make a decision in your mind as an act of the will. So you would say to me this morning, Stephen, how in the world can I love somebody that is unlovable or unlovely or has hurt me or is not kind to me ever? How am I ever going to learn to do this command from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me and be perfect. How do I do that? So you need to understand what agape will is, agape love. It is the, an act of the will. And, and the how is you've got to start having a conversation with your father about them. You pray for them, all right? I'm going to give you kind of three subpoints of point number one, but the first thing is you begin to pray for them. Have you ever prayed for your enemy before? No, 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 not that kind of prayer. Not that kind of prayer where you say, okay, I'm going to pray for them. Oh, Lord, let them drive off a cliff this morning on the way to work, all right? Not that kind of prayer. It's a totally different kind of prayer where you begin to pray God's blessings over them. You begin to pray that God would look after them. You pray even, it's okay to pray that God would change their heart or change their words or change their mind. You're praying over them, and that is a first step. Read this real quickly. It says in the Bible, uh, Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So prayer is actually a forerunner to forgiveness. We, we, it's a forerunner to forgiveness, and then it's a forerunner eventually to you being able to love the person who has hurt you a lot, okay? Prayer, you pray for them. By the way, two things happen when you, when you start praying for people who are mean to you, when you start praying for people who are unlovely to you. Two things happen. Number one... God may begin to honor that prayer, and he may begin to change them on the inside. He may begin to change their, their, the way they look at things, the way they think about things. He can start changing them on the inside. But let me tell you, the more beautiful thing is the second thing. When we start praying for those who curse us, when we start praying for those who mistreat us, it changes us. When you start talking to the Father about people who hurt you, it changes you on the inside. By the way, read that scripture with me one more time. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Many people would hold this scripture up and especially think about what's going on in the world right now with all the marches and the protests. They would say, well, this is a statement of pacifism. Jesus is saying, listen, you just hang back and this is the way you do it. You don't you bless those who curse you. You pray for those who mistreat you. So this is what you do. You just you have a pacifist attitude. Well, Jesus is not saying anything about pacifism here. All right. The truth of the matter was, Jesus hated war. I hate war. I bet you hate war. But the truth of the matter is, in this world we have right now, we're always going to have war until Jesus comes again. And in this world we have right now, we're always going to have division. And in this world right now, we're always going to have sin. And in this world right now, we're always going to have hate. Jesus was not saying that at all. And see, what I think happens a lot of times, people who who try to run towards pacifism, they get this global picture and they miss the next door picture. They think to themselves, oh, well, I just, I think everybody ought to get along. And they talk about things from a, a macro point of view, but they don't really look across the hallway and think about how, have you really forgiven? Do you love your neighbor? Do you love that guy in the cubicle next door to you that you can't stand? How are you going to learn how to get along with him? And see, it's real easy to think pacifist from a global perspective and to close your eyes to the person who's hurt you a year ago by doing a bad business deal with you, right? And so what Jesus is saying is so much more applicable than pacifism. Jesus is saying something that is far more concrete and close to home. Jesus is saying, listen, the person who mistreats you and curses at you, I want you to pray for them. I want you to hold them before the Father. I want you to start talking with the Father about them. He's talking about people that are close to our homes, close to our hearts, close to our lives, close to where we work, close to where we play. Now look at this one. The scripture says in Romans 12. So we pray for them, but what else do we do? We treat them a certain way. The Bible says in Romans 12, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You might want to underline that. I read that for the first time. I was about 14 years old. And I was a brand new Christian. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. If I want to get rid of my enemy or get, get back at him, I just do good things to him. And I heap burning coals on their head, right? I'll tell you how it really works later. But, um, but, but this, then he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What, what the writer of, of Romans is saying there, Paul is saying, is Paul is saying, listen, when somebody treats you badly, when you have somebody that treats you so unkind, what I want you to do is I want you to turn it upside down and I want you to do good to them. Don't let their evil overcome you, but you be overcome by good. So literally, he says, if your enemy's hungry, go get him something to eat. Think about your coworker who's working a little late for lunch and what would it look like? That person who does not expect you to come in and say anything nice to them, just drop in their cubicle and say, hey, can I go pick up your lunch? You want some lunch? What? Really? No, I'm fine. Hey, listen, I want to buy you lunch. Where can I buy you lunch? I'll get your lunch. And then you actually go buy their lunch for them. You go get lunch for them. They're shocked. That's what it means by heaping burning coals. They're, they're not expecting you to do that, all right? They're not expecting you to go do something good for them. Hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee this morning? I noticed you didn't bring your regular coffee into work. Can I go get you a Starbucks real quickly? When we do this kind of thing, when we're praying for them and we start treating them differently, a good thing begins to happen. Now, you can do the opposite. You cannot take the high road. You cannot obey the Bible. And when they do evil to you, you can turn back around and do evil to them. You know, we call that tit for tat, right? We're getting back. I used to have this phrase, boy, I was I lost when I used to use this phrase. I used to say, I don't get even, I get ahead, right? How bad is that? How warped is that, right? Because it's playing tit for tat. That's not the way God wants you to live. If they do bad to you, he doesn't want you to jump into the badness with them. He wants you to take the high road, not take the low road that they just took. So, when, so instead of you, have you ever heard that little metaphor, that little story about you know, getting in the mud and wrestling with a pig? You ever heard that before? You can get down in the mud and wrestle with the pig. How's it go? But you're both going to get dirty, but only one of you will really enjoy it. I mean, that's how it really works, all right? So you ought not get down in the mud and wrestle with the pig because you don't need to get dirty like that. The writer of Romans says, listen, for your enemy, here's what you do. You do good to them and you surprise them and you shock them because you act differently than other people act. By the way, the question there is why. And by the way, right next to that Roman scripture, you might want to write the word out next to it. Why? Why would I do that? Why would I give them something to eat when they're hungry? Why would I buy them something to drink when they're thirsty? Why would I do that? By the way, Jesus told you back in Matthew chapter 5, so that you would be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. So that you would be like your Father. See, your Father, that's the way He is. He doesn't play a tit-for-tat game. That's not your Father. Your Heavenly Father never gets down and wrestles in the mud. People, people do bad to Him all the time, and He continues to do good to them, Right? And the why is because you're a daughter of the king. The why is because you're a son of God. The why is, it's not about salvation. You know what it's about? It's about character. Are you growing up to be like your daddy God? Are you being a different person? Or are you acting like God would act? So the first thing I said under this first one about it's an act of the will is you need to, your will needs to be, I'm going to start praying for that person. The second one is I'm going to start treating them differently. But notice those words, those last hard, hard, hard words in Matthew chapter 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I read that and I go, come on, God. Why you got to say that, Jesus? I mean, I can't be that, right? You have that same feeling? I mean, I don't know about you, but I know that I'm going to mess up again, okay? I know that I'm going to sin again. I know I, it's, when I see that word perfect, I kind of go off the rails. But what, I, what I've missed is I haven't understood the Greek word, okay? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Leave that screen up there for just a second, guys, before we move it. The word is, the Greek word is teleos, okay? He says, be teleos, therefore, as your heavenly Father is teleos. Here's what teleos is, and I don't have it in your notes, so you might want to write it down somewhere. Here's what teleos is, uh, where perfect is. Teleos means mature. It means complete. It means whole. It means total. The best metaphor I ever had when I really, when I, when I finally clicked with me was if you walk outside this church right now and you see a little two-year-old tree, all right? It's not a big oak yet. It's just a little old two-year-old tree. But it is perfect for a two-year-old tree at that moment. It's mature, it's healthy, it's complete at that moment. Now, six years from now, will it be teleos? Will it be perfect? Will it have grown in a more healthy way? This is the picture of 
perfect. It's mature at that moment in time for what it is to be at that moment in time. It's whole for that moment in time. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, for where you are, I want you to be whole. I want you to complete. I want you to be total. I want you to be mature. I want you to grow up. Don't don't play baby games anymore. Grow up like your heavenly father is and act like him. I had to tell you a story, but instead of telling you a story, I wanted to show you a story. As we talk about this thing, watch this, agape, unconquering goodness, unconquering kindness, invincible generosity, even when people do bad to us. Agape love is an act of the mind first, and then our hearts will catch up. I want to show you this story of a little lady who did this so well. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me. I don't know you. Let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close. They are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son. But the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. Wow. Can I tell you that Mary's story is such um, a testimony of what our world needs now more and more? They need people showing them the way to do it. And, and the sad thing is that a lot of people would watch Mary's story, even Christians would watch her story and go, I don't know if I could do what she does. Yeah, by yourself you can't do this thing I'm talking about today with forgiveness. But if you really experience the power of God in your life and you experience his strength, you can move even towards the most heinous of terrible things that have been done to you. And the world will see it and the world will take note. And our world too often is shocked by what forgiveness really looks like. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Write this one down if you will. 
when it comes to your relationships, I just wrote these words, grow up, okay? Grow up. Because I think that's what Mary did. Mary grew up. By the way, it took her 10 years to finally visit him in the prison. You know why she did it? Her pastor came to her and asked her to teach a class on forgiveness. And she started teaching the class on forgiveness. She, by herself, without going any deeper into the subject, would never have come to a place of really wrestling with all the hatred and, and, the, and the ill will she had inside of her. But she started praying to God as she started teaching others. And she started saying, what does forgiveness look about? And it came not global, not macro. It came next door to her for her. She had to wrestle with the hatred she had for the, 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 the young boy that had taken her son's life. She grew up. Grow up. This one I want to talk to you about. What does it look like for you to get serious about being a mature person who deals with relationships the right way? Let me say that differently. Guys, there's a lot of people. A lot of people who give themselves permission to act in hatred or envy or, or malice. Because, and they're being childish at the end of the day. Spiritually, they're being childish and they're giving themselves permission to do that all the time. I, I don't think I've ever told this to you guys. I don't think I ever planned on telling this to you guys. But today I want to tell you um, about the speech that every new staff member at our church gets, okay? I don't know that I've ever told this. I, I need to find the person who's been here the longest and say, have you ever heard this before? I don't know. But there is a speech that I give to every new staff member at our church. And I tell them out of the gate, if you don't do what I'm about to tell you, it will be the number one reason you will be fired or terminated around this place. I call it my short accounts speech, okay? And basically what I tell them to do, I say, listen, you're going to have some issues and some run-ins with some other staff members. You're going to have some issues and run-ins with me. And when that happens, and when you get a little angry or upset, I want you to keep a short account. And here's what I mean by that. When it happens, you go deal with it right then. You don't gunny sack it and put it in a little bag in your pocket and say, I'll deal with that one day. You don't, you don't shove it under the rug and say, well, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. No. If you get mad, you get angry, you're starting to feel ill will towards somebody, you have a short account and you go deal with them right now. You go talk to them about it and here's why. We have an opportunity to be in ministry with God's church and God's people. And let's be very clear. The most important thing is God's church, not us, not the staff. Staff will come and go. Pastors and youth pastors and children's pastors and Hispanic, we'll all, worship leaders, we will come and go. But you know what will, will, what will remain? The body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ is always more important than any individual person leading in ministry. So here's the deal. If you gunny sack, if you shove it under the rug, if you pretend it's not there, if you don't keep a short account... I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you because here's what you're doing. You're putting the bride at risk. You keep your little grudge going and all that kind of stuff, and you cause the bride pain, and the bride is always more important than we are. My staff have to promise me before they come on our staff that they will keep short accounts, that they will keep absolutely short accounts, and when they have a problem, they will deal with that problem then, or they will be terminated. Now, two things. I think that's grown up. I think that's not playing childish games. I think that's keeping things in perspective. When you have an issue come up, you go deal with the issue right then. You don't play games. You don't pretend. You don't hide it. You don't gunny sack it. You go deal with it right then. But you know what? I didn't dream that up, and I didn't come up with that on my own. Do you know what? Here's the good news. Second thing, I found it in Scripture. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 tells us how to deal with a difficulty that we have whenever we have a difficulty with somebody. Matthew chapter 18. It's so important that you know this because it is the key towards understanding how to grow up in your relationships when you have problems. And I want you to say the scripture over and over again, okay? So would you do that with me real quickly? Just repeat after me. Matthew 18. What is it again? Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is a phenomenal scripture that will help you grow up in your relationships. So read it with me real quickly, all right? Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said these words. He said, if your brother, I would add your sister or your sister, if your brother or your sister sins against you, go and show him his faults just between the two of you. This is to be done in humility, by the way. But go just between the two of you. You might want to underline that. Just between the two of you. I talked about that last week at the end of my message. You go one-on-one. -on -one, you go at the right time. You go in humility. 
I told you how to do that, but just between the two of you. If he listens to you, if he or she listens to you, you have won your brother over. Now, let me stop right there. Can I tell you that I've been doing this for years and years and years, and you know what I've found? 90 to 95% of the problems you ever have with somebody will be finished right there. If you go in humility one to another and you say, hey, listen, I need to talk with you about something that either hurt my heart or I took the wrong way or maybe I misunderstood you, but listen, I've gotten angry over it. I need to talk with you about it. 90 to 95% of your stuff will be solved right there. And this is the power and the brilliance of Jesus and the way he teaches us to do kingdom work. Now, now go on. It says, if he listens to you, he or she listens, you've won your brother over. But if he will or she will will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. He says, share your concern with somebody else. Take one or two other people with you and then try again. Don't just give up. Go back. We're growing up here, right? We're not playing child games. Grow up and don't be good with it. Just, I'm just, I'll just cut them off. I'll talk to everybody. I just won't talk to them. No, go back to them with one or two people and see if you can solve it with greater wisdom in the room than just the two of you. And then notice this. He says, if he, refuse, he or she refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Woo, really? By the way, can I just tell you that if Matthew 18 was being followed all the time, there ought to be at least 2 or 3 or 4% of the time where somebody's coming to me and say, listen, I went to them one-on-one, I took some other folks, and now I'm ready to tell the church. All right? But sometimes we read Matthew 18, oh, it can't be serious, right? Really? Jesus says, bring it to the church. Let the church help you in this matter. And now watch this. And this is where this has been taken wrong so many, so many times. He says, and if he or she refuses to listen even to the church... Treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. Wow, when I first read that, I completely misunderstood it. As a matter of fact, it took me a long time to finally get it. I thought to myself, now what do you treat a pagan like or a tax collector, right? You, you, boop, you kick him right out, right? You nothing to do with you anymore. I won't even hold you this far away. I don't even look at you anymore. I have nothing to do with you anymore. A pagan or tax collector, you're gone. You're out. You're, you know, ejection, you're out of my life. I don't want you anymore, right? And can I tell you, a lot of people have read this scripture and they, 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 get, they, they see that last little part as a reason to hit the eject button and say, well, I ain't got nothing to do with you anymore. I cut you out. I struggle with that because here's my struggle. That doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? Do you ever see Jesus hitting the eject button? Do you ever see Jesus going, I tried five times with you, you're gone. You know, I have nothing to do with you anymore. Do you ever see Jesus? So I struggled with it and I started thinking, okay, who wrote this? Who wrote it? Who wrote it? Matthew. Matthew wrote it, right? And so I went to Mark, Luke, and John. I thought, what did they have to say about this? And you know what they had to say about it? Nothing. They didn't, this part of the scripture didn't make it into their gospels. And then I thought to myself, okay, well, what does Matthew have to say about it? Do you remember who Matthew was, right? Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew had been shunned by a lot of people, but how was Matthew treated by Jesus? Matthew was treated with agape love. Watch this. Matthew was treated with unconquering kindness, unconquering generosity, invincible goodness by Jesus, even though he was a tax collector. And what Matthew is saying here, listen carefully, go to them one-on-one. Go with them humbly, and you normally not even, it's going to be solved, okay? And if not, grab one or two other people, and then go and see if you can solve it that way. And if not, go to the church. And if you can't get it to the church, then you know what you need to do? You, you won't probably ever be able to love them with, with storge or phileo or eros, but you know what you can do? You can pray to God to love them with agape. And you just look at them and say, even though we disagree, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to be invincibly, unconquerably kind and generous and good to you, even though you've hurt me very much. Jesus is not giving you a reason to cut people out here. He's telling you how to love the way that Jesus loved pagans and the way Jesus loved tax collectors. He loved them with agape. He loved them still, even though they mistreated him. Are you following me along here? What does it mean to grow up? It means you deal with things. You don't just shove them off. You deal with things when you have problems. By the way, in the same chapter, Matthew what? Did you, I don't know that you remember that, right? Matthew what? Matthew, in the same chapter, watch what happens. Then Peter comes to Jesus and he asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when, I, when he sins against me? Up to seven times? By the way, the law was that you needed to forgive some, the law, the, the Mosaic law. When somebody sinned against you, you forgave them three times, and after that, you didn't forgive them anymore. Peter generously doubles it and adds one. Like, he gives them the complete number, seven, right? Seven times? I see, I see Peter wanting to get good on the teacher's side, right? How many times am I supposed to give Jesus? Seven times, you know? And Jesus looks and he says, uh, 
I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some passages say literally seven, 77, uh, 70 times seven. That's what some passages say. By the way, any math on that? What's 70 times seven? 490. Here's the point. You need to know this. Jesus is not using a number. Jesus is basically saying, don't count. Don't count when you're forgiving. If you're counting, it doesn't count. If you're counting one, two, three, I've forgiven you seven times. I remember you did this. Oh, I forgot about that one. Twelve. Now you're twelve, and I've forgiven you that. If you're counting, it doesn't count. Jesus is saying, you keep forgiving because this is what your heavenly Father wants you to do. Real quickly, how many times do you think you might have asked God to forgive you? Don't know. I bet if I almost ask anybody in this crowd here, I'd say, how many times do you think God, you've asked him to forgive you? Many of us would go, I don't know. But what if, wouldn't it be a sad day if after three times God said, no more, cutting you off. After seven times God said, no, no, you hurt my heart already. What about after 77 times? Or how about that magic number, 70 times seven at 490? And at 491 when you said, Father, I've messed up. I need you to forgive me again. He said, you've exhausted my love. See, what God is teaching us, guys, here this morning in this church service is, if you're counting, it don't count. How many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? You just keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it because you were supposed to be a son or a daughter of your father in heaven, and we're going to act like him. We're going to have agape love, invincible, unconquering generosity, kindness, and goodness. That's who we are. No matter how much they hurt us, we will continue to be that kind of person with them. Love, by the way, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. That's agape love, by the way. Agape love keeps no record of wrongs. i got to go a little bit faster. Finally, finally, last thing I want to I talk about. So, so agape love is an act of the will. Pray for them. Treat them differently, all right? And watch how your father will act in you. Be mature and complete. Secondly, grow up in your relationships. Don't, don't act like a child anymore. No, no games, all right? You, you, when you have a problem with somebody, you deal with it. Thirdly, write this one down. Forgiveness is supposed to be, should be, spiritually guided the right way. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. Forgiveness is not something we do once in a while. Forgiveness is something we live in and we do repeatedly. Now, you've heard me talk a lot about worship as a lifestyle. You are a worshiper. You are a wor- no matter, you don't have to be in church to worship. You have, God made you to worship. You're going to worship something. He made you to worship. So what are you going to worship? All right. You are a worshiper and you will worship in a lifestyle. What will you worship? The same thing is true for forgiveness. You were meant to be a forgiver your whole life. You're supposed to be a forgiver your entire life. Forgiving, 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 forgiving Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You are a forgiver by your nature. That's who you are. And that's how God has planned for you to be. So let's read a little more of Matthew chapter 18. All right? He's teaching us. He's teaching us. Watch this. Jesus tells a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. If you have your pen, you want to write in the, in the margin there. But $2 million is about what he owed. You know, $2 million to $3 million is what he owed. And then a man who owed him about 2 to $3 million was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. By the way, if you're in jail, you're not going to pay back 2 to $3 million. That's a farce, okay? And so I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt. He didn't just reduce the debt. He canceled the debt. You don't owe me anything anymore. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. This is Jesus telling a story. Jesus telling a parable. Jesus can do what he wants to in his story, okay? So how cool is that? The king forgives the whole debt, not part of it, the whole thing. He's trying to show us the father. The king cancels the whole debt. Watch what happens in the rest of this story. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. That'd be basically about one day's wage. Write that, whatever you think you make in a day. That's how much he was owed. 
He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. The same thing that he had just begged of the king, the servant says, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told the master, the king, everything that had happened. And then the king, the master, called in the servant. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to? Shouldn't you have had mercy for a hundred denarii on your fellow servant just as he had come to you? In anger, his master turned him over to the tormentors to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, which was never until he would pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. Woe. The story just turned on its edge. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What? Hold the horses. Game changer right there. This forgiveness thing is so important, and here's why. You're meant to live in a lifestyle of forgiveness, but you're going to come to a place one day where you just don't want to forgive. And Jesus tells us that when you get to that place and you want to grab them by the neck and say, you pay me back what you've hurt me with, then that very moment, there's a wall between you and God because he's forgiven you and now you won't forgive somebody else. And what God is teaching us, Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 18 here is, don't ever allow yourself to be walled off from God because of some choice you made. Don't, don't, put up your, don't put up your jail cell around you and imprison yourself like Mary talked about, right? Mary talked about the poison that she had going on inside of her because of her unforgiveness. She was walled up in her own slavery. She had put herself in that because of the actions of somebody else. And she was, she was having a hard time getting out of that. And I would say to you, don't let anything, especially something like unforgiveness, that will absolutely, Jesus says, come between you and God. Don't let it come between you and God. Because what you can find out will happen that is if you're not living in a lifestyle of forgiveness, you will end up being a prisoner to your own unforgiveness. That's what Mary taught us. Mary said, it's for me. It's for me. She knew something about the teachings of Jesus. And by the way, I don't want to make light of anything that somebody has done to anybody in this room. Let me tell you, there's one person in this room, and I don't know who it is, and you don't either, who more harm and more evil has been done to them than anybody else in the room. I don't make light of that. And, and you're right, if that's you. It's not fair what was done to you. But at the end of the day, forgiveness is not about fairness. Forgiveness was never about fairness. Forgiveness has always been about grace. We don't get what's fair. That's what grace is. It's not about fair. Stephen Howe. Tell me how to let go of the heartache. Let me, tell me how to let go of the forgiveness, the unforgiveness that I've had. Tell me how. I've got a few final thoughts here. Got your pen? How do you really live a lifestyle of forgiveness? How do you really forgive somebody and let go of the heartache? The first one is here. Write this one down. Give it to God. Give it to God. In a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And uh, at the end of my prayer, you know, or whatever that looks like for you, find a way to give it to God today. Or tomorrow morning or the next day, find a way to give it to God. What do you do when you give something to God? You, you, all you're basically doing is say, I can't do this by myself. I mean, I've heard the message today, and I know clearly that I am supposed to be forgiving, and I know I need to do it as an act of my will, and I know I want to pray for that person, but it's going to be so hard. I can't do it by myself. What am I going to do? And you have to surrender this thing over to God, this unforgiveness. You have to say, God, I can't do this. And by the way, here's the cool thing. He already knows that. He knows you can't do it by yourself. So you just, you just, I like sometimes just taking my hands, putting them in a little cup, and envisioning all that stuff in there that I need to give to him, and then just giving it to him. 
giving it to God, giving it, I need your help, God, here it is, I'm giving it to you. The Bible says, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing, so you know you can't do it by yourself. Another passage of Scripture also says, though, Philippians 4, I can do all things, even forgive that person, Stephen, yes, I can do all things, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. So you need to not do this, try to do this by yourself, you need to give it to God. By the way, that's how you're going to have the strength to forgive because God, he's the author. He's the, he's the bank account. He's the reservoir of agape love. And he, watch this, if you say, God, I'm going to give this thing to you the best I know how. I can't do it by myself. He will say to you, listen, allow me to now. I'm going to infuse invincible kindness into you, unconquerable generosity into you, goodness into you to that person. I will give you strength to do for them even though they've hurt you so bad. First step, give it to God. Second step, write this one down. Change your mind. Change my mind. Change your mind. What do you mean by that, Stephen? I mean, the mind can be a terrible thing and it can take us to places that we don't want to go or it can be a powerfully offensive tool. So here's what you need to do. Every time you get a bad thought about that person, you need to do what I call the bounce, okay? The bounce, You get a bad thought about that person, you need to immediately say, no, I've given that to God, and bounce and go to a good thought, okay? You can dwell in bad thoughts or you can dwell in good thoughts. Matter of fact, Philippians chapter 4 says we're supposed to dwell, put our minds on things that are lovely and true and noble, right? So when you get a bad thought, you do the bounce. You immediately bounce away with a good thought and say, no, I will not think that way about them. And I think you begin to pray for that person. The Bible says this, Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So change your mind and do the bounce. When you have a bad thought about them, do the bounce and allow your mind to be changed to that which is true and good and noble. And then finally, and I've said this before already, but I'm going to say it again. I'm going to close the message with it. You pray for them. Write that down. You pray for them. You pray for them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Hey, Bo, can you help me for a minute? Would you stand up here for a minute? Well, as a dad, I've had, um, I've had a, a girl and two boys. But more importantly, as a, um, as a, as a kid, I grew up in a family of four with, with two other brothers. Man, we fought like cats and dogs. You know what I'm talking about? No, you don't know what I'm talking about. But we, 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 we were pretty physical with each other. But I remember those moments. If you remember, maybe, maybe you've done this as a kid or maybe you've done this as a parent. When all of a sudden it was time for both of us, maybe even scratches and bruises and everything, to stand before daddy together. You know? And I was so mad I could still pop him one. You know what I mean? And there we are before daddy. And, and dad, but we try to calm down, don't we? Have you ever noticed that before? Call in two children who've just been fighting with each other. Call them right in front of you. Say, you stand right there. But I'm not fighting anymore. I'm calming down, ain't I? This is what happens if you bring a person who's hurt you before the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about physically. But if you come with that person before the Lord, here's something you might want to write down. This is very important. It's impossible to hate another man or another woman in God's presence. I'm going to say that again because it might have been worth the price of admission. In the presence of God, if you bring that person in your mind and your heart before God, it is impossible to hate another man or another woman in God's presence. So pray. Thank you, Bo. Pray for them. Bring them to God. And you will watch all the animosity and all the hurt and all that stuff start to melt away because in God's presence there is peace and in God's presence there is healing. Well, I have an idea for you and I'm going to close down with my idea, okay? Here's my idea. I want to invite you to think about that person right now that you've been thinking about since the very beginning of this message. Or it might have been a few of them. I don't know. You might have had one or two or three co-workers. I don't know. All right? I want you to think about them for a minute. And here's my idea. What if today, by an act of your will, by an act of your choice, by agape, which starts in the brain, starts in the mind, the heart will follow. What if today you said, I'm going to be like my father, and I'm going to choose to forgive them. What if today, watch, just stay with me for a minute. What if today, you did like Mary And you stepped out of the jail cell that you've been imprisoned in of unforgiveness. 
and you just said this, here's the idea. For the next 30 days, I'm going to practice what we study here this morning. Just 30-day commitment. I'm going to step out of that cell, and I'm going to start to pray for them. I'm going to start to hold them up before the Father. I am not going to play childish games tit for tat. I'm going to go to them if God calls me to go to them. One thing for sure that I will do, I will begin treating them differently. I will begin doing good for them, invincible good to them, unconquering kindness to them, unconquering generosity. I will be good to them for the next 30 days. Here's my idea. At the end of that 30 days, what if you did that and then you made a choice? Maybe you would say, hey, I'm going to step back into my cell. That was too hard. And you can step back into the prison of unforgiveness. What if you said, okay, God, thank you for your strength for the past 30 days. I'm going to take another 30 days. I'm going to take another 30 days of praying for them, of treating them differently. I know that I'll do that. And I'm going to give them agape love, unconquering generosity, unflinching, invincible goodness and kindness. I will treat them that way. I promise you something will happen if you take me at that idea. You will be more and more and more like your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to begin this prayer today by just saying thank you for not having a number that you've forgiven us by. I want to thank you for not keeping a record of our wrongs. I want to thank you for forgiving us and forgiving us and forgiving us over and over again. And I want to thank you that you have given us agape love and invincible kindness and unconquering generosity. You are so good to us. Let us hear your word today for our lives and let us be a different kind of people. Let us be like Mary. Let us be like Mary, that we don't, we don't let that poison and that unforgiveness stay in us, but we will forgive others. And I pray that we would be like Jesus, that we would grow up, that we would be lifestyle forgivers. Help us to do it well, I pray. Jesus, this is a big task. We cannot do it by ourselves. In the name of Jesus, I pray you would give us your strength, that you'd fill us with agape love, and help us be salt and light to a hurting world. This is our prayer, Lord. In the next few minutes as we give to your kingdom, bless these our gifts. Multiply them for your kingdom gain and continue to expand the kingdom of God all over this planet, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Hey, church, before we take our offering this morning, I just want to real quickly share a couple of thoughts. At the very end of our offering, we're going to invite our Nicaragua team. We've got a team heading off to Nicaragua tomorrow, and then even more that are going to be coming in the next week. So if you're going in, going in the next week, still come on forward. That team is going to gather right here. And because we've had a few folks who have things going on, even one, having, one person in our church is having a heart cath done tomorrow, uh, some folks have asked for us to have a time of anointing with oil and praying uh, for those who are, who are sick or who have procedures coming up. So if you want to be prayed over by the elders of our church, anointed with oil or laid hands on, we invite you to come to this side of the platform right after the offering, and we're going to have a time of prayer, okay? Ushers, would you join me? Uh, Let's give, and let's worship through our giving.